Well, good morning and welcome as we continue our worship by going to the Word of God to worship. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 2, the second psalm as we go through the series called God Made a Mixtape, as we're walking through the, the songs that, and poems that God inspired through His people that teach us about His character. So turn into your Bibles or turn on your Bibles if you're using electronic Bible this morning. And read along with me in Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw off their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them with his anger and terrifies them with his wrath. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make it the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we seek the truths of this psalm uh, may we see you as our true king. May we not reject you, but love you with all of our hearts. And this morning, we pray these words would fill each heart, each mind listening today, that some might be saved, that some might be turned from sin, that some may follow you in a new and glorious way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listening to your favorite music, if you made a mixtape or a playlist, you might have all sorts of music that you have included in there. Sometimes when you're making a mixtape or a playlist, you put some older favorites, things that, that just stand the test of time. Maybe you've listened to and put a song in your playlist uh, from the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Maybe you've put a song from the king of country music, George Strait. Maybe you've got the King Elvis on your playlist. There's a many different things that you might put on your playlist. I don't know. Whatever your taste is, you might have the King of Polka on there. But we rush quickly, interestingly, to name people, especially in music and in other things, the King of something. Why do you think that? Why do we use that word King uh, often? Why do you think through history? People have longed for a king. People have wanted a king. People have bowed down to kings all throughout history. Maybe it's because there's a sense in us that we all desire or want a benevolent and wise king that will rule over us, that will care for us, that will protect us, and will guide us. A literature can be kind of a snapshot of culture, and if you think through some of the, the older stories, you see that there is this innate 
longing for a king to return to our lives. Maybe you read King Arthur and his tales. that Those are not the people of that story realm are not happy until King Arthur returns. Maybe you read Robin Hood and you know that, that they are waiting and longing for good King Richard to return. Or maybe you've read the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and you understand that the whole story comes back to whether the king of Gondor, the true king of Gondor, will reign to unite all of the kingdoms against evil. There's something in us that says that we long for a king. Well, what the Bible says is that there is a king, a king of kings, one that is over all kings, one is that is supporting or beneath or under, undergirding all kings. And maybe there is this memory trace in our lives, in our culture, of thinking and knowing that inside we need a real king. Well, the Bible says that we do need a king. We need King Jesus. Now, you might be sitting there this morning and say, well, you know, I'm a big fan of British royalty. I love Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I like to keep up with that. But, but, you know, maybe I'm kind of pure American. I don't really want a king. I, I want to be able to rule. I want to be able to make decisions. Well, maybe you're not intellectually thinking that there is a desire for a king. But you can't think ontologically or thinking about the beginnings of the universe or about God without wrapping your mind around this. We all need a king. We need someone who oversees us, something that presses in on us, that God has imprinted on us, that we need a king. The Bible actually says that if we don't find the real king, then we're going to put a false king in its place. And that false king will probably poison us. Interestingly, first and second Psalms uh, connect together and, and many commentators believe that this is the perfect introduction to the rest of the book. As we talked about last week, Psalm chapter 1 tells us that really we will never be happy unless we follow God's word and God himself. Well, Psalm 2 continues that, that we will never be truly, truly happy unless we follow the right king. Today, as we look at this, David writes of a king chosen by God that if we live by him and under him, we will be happy. Today, I want us to look at just three things from the second psalm that teaches us about this king. First of all, if you're taking notes at home, we reject the king. We reject the king. Verse 1 through 3 says this, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one? Let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. Well, this psalm is written and likely functioned as a coronation song or psalm or poem that was either at possibly David's coronation, but many of his descendants. And it's interesting because if this was written, of course, and there was a new king established uh, over Israel, well, then, of course, the nations are not going to like that. They're going to rage against this new king. They're going to want to overthrow. They're not going to want to listen to this. 
And so as you read it, you understand that there is this, at one level, it is speaking about the true king of Israel, of David's descendant, this coronation of this uh, person to lead the kingdom and lead what is right. But on another level, even the listeners and even the people that hear this understand that there must be something more because it is Lord, the Lord's anointed one that it speaks about in verse 2. This anointed one chosen by God. Now, yes, at the king's coronation, they would have been poured their head in oil. They would have been say they are anointed by God. But as we see, and as you read the Old Testament, David's descendants did not act as a benevolent king most of the time. And many of them did not lead godly. And so there must be something about this psalm that looks forward. Well, the term for anointed one in verse 2 is a Hebrew word that might sound familiar. Mashiach. Mashiach. It sounds very much like the word Messiah. And that is what that word is. The Lord's anointed Messiah. The faithful one that God would choose. The readers and understanders of the Old Testament would say that this king is not the one on the throne in Jerusalem. Instead, there must be one coming, a one true anointed one that God has set for us. And friends, this is the same Messiah we know to be Jesus the Christ. The Greek word for Messiah is Christos or Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to and pointed to as God's anointed one, the one whom God has chosen for us to bow down to, to live by and be saved by. But now let us read and think through this understanding that this is Jesus the Messiah. Verse 3 says, let's take off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. As you read this, you understand that people, nations, rulers, kings would not, would not want and specifically reject or go against God's ruler. And in the same way, we know today that there are many people who reject God. Many people reject Christ as the Son of God. And many people reject Christ as king today. Some reject his kingship and some try to reject what is this control that they have, God has over us? Verse 3, what does it say? Tear off their chains. Well, the Hebrew can also mean take the yoke off. That Meaning that what God is saying to us, what God is guiding us, how God is changing us, how God is moving us, People reject that. People don't want God to interference. People don't want God to tell them what to do. They don't want to respect God for who he is. And I believe that this happens often today in two very particular ways. One that you might expect pretty clearly. A lot of people reject the idea of God and reject the idea of the biblical God. Now you might say, well, Pastor, this is... Uh, this." Nation is a, a Christian nation that people believe in God. Well, uh, that's somewhat true. And you look at the polling and you look and ask people's idea. They believe in a God. They believe in a some supreme being. They believe that there is something that is overseeing. 
But if you ask them, do you believe in the biblical God? Do you believe in the one of the Bible? The one that thunders from uh, from the mountain, the one who tells us what to do. Most people reject God because they reject the real, true version of God, the one that thunders from Mount Sinai, the one that says, be holy for I am holy, the one that says, that have no other gods before me. And in, uh, we understand that through this, that people reject being guided by the true anointed one of God, Jesus Christ. When we start to mention Jesus and, and the cross and the Son of God, people say, I don't want that yoke. I don't want that type of guidance. I don't want some God to tell me what to do. In many ways, we reject God. People reject God. Just this week, I read an article of a, a fringe Baptist group. Uh, not a Southern Baptist, not a conservative, independent Baptist, but a, a, a fringe group who was denying the idea of Jesus' cross, saying that the cross was too bloody. That this understanding and teaching that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin is, just, uh, is, is not worthy of being considered. It is this idea or theological term of knowing substitutionary atonement, that Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear about that. From the Old Testament to the New, that a death must take place for sin, and Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. And we know this fringe group or this, these people, this idea of rejecting Christ uh, weaves through our culture and our life. So many people reject God. But others also reject God through their morality. It's not something we often think about, but someone wrote, a guy who is very religious figures the way to avoid Jesus is to be a good man and as moral as possible. What does this mean? Well, it means that they think they can control God by living a certain way and not asking for him to speak truth in their life. Someone might think, well, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm a moral character. I'm a pretty straight shooter. I, 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 I'm better than this person down the street. Well, let me ask you this. Do you normally describe yourself that way? Do you usually say, hey, I have high standards. I, I, I live a good way of life. This is how I live, and, and so uh, I think I'm okay. Or do you describe yourself in this way? I'm a helpless sinner who has no other hope other than Jesus Christ. And any good that is in me is only by the work of God through me. I know that I need a Savior. Well, let me ask you that. How do you describe yourself? How do you think of yourself? Do you see yourself as a fairly moral person just getting by knowing that you can control your life and your destiny by what you do? Or are you the latter? Someone who knows that they're a sinner that needs help. You see, we reject God both through denying his existence, denying that Jesus has any say over our life, but we can also control God through the way that we live. If we think we've got it together, then God has nothing to say about my life. Well, let me just say this quickly, and we need to move on. You know, if you want to know and, 
and be for sure that you're a Christian? A Christian says the latter. A Christian truly knows that there is no good in me. And if it was a part, wasn't for the work of the Spirit in me to see that I was a helpless sinner, I would still be on a road to destruction. And we as Christians are thankful that God showed us this, that we might go to the true king and be saved. How do you look at your life? How do you understand? Well, we we know how bad we need to see clearly. We know that we've rejected God. But moving on, we know we rejected the king. But number two, the king responds. There's a response of the king. Once we reject the king, there's a response of the king. Look at this. In verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord ridicules them. Are you ever tired of the tyranny of your parents when you were little? Maybe you're a child watching along right now, and you've you've gotten upset because your parents have not allowed you to stay up late, or that that you couldn't play the video game that you wanted to play, or, or there was something that was just unfair. I can't believe that my parents won't let me do this. And so you consider, maybe the best thing for me to do is just run away. Uh, I did that as a child. I thought that maybe the best plan for me is to get out of the rule of my parents and just run and live out in the woods and just, uh, and just fend for myself. And so I, I packed a little bag and I, I started down the driveway and then I realized before I got to the end, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? What's going to happen to all my toys? And then I slowly turned around and realized that I needed to go back. You know, when you say that to your parents, and you've seen parents express that, they say, fine, go ahead, go. Kind of a lesson learned. Go see if you can live out on your own at age seven and make it in the world. All the while, they're laughing under their breath or trying not to laugh because they realize this isn't going to last very long. Well, isn't that sort of the picture that you get from verse 4? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. God is laughing, saying, you want to reject me? You want to go at the world by yourself? (laughs) Uh, I'd like to see how far you can go without me. He just laughs because he knows he is sovereign. He had a, a plan before creation. He is set up to rule and to plan and appoint his anointed one long before we were ever created. It is God who is in charge. It is God who is holy. It is God who is sovereign. And it goes on to say that he speaks in anger and terrifies them in his wrath. In verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God is saying, look, this plan is already in place for me to put my king. And there's nothing that you can say or do that will slow this down. Charles Spurgeon writes, and I think actually kind of wicked beats sort of way, he says, While they, while the nations are proposing, he has disposed of the matter. Jehovah's will be done and man's will frets and raves in vain. God's anointed is appointed and shall not be disappointed. This anointed then goes on and speaks in verse 7. This anointed one, the Christ, the king, says, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said, you are my son. Today I have become your father. 
Friends, this is a messianic psalm looking forward to Jesus. And all the more we read this, what did God say at the baptism of Jesus? This is my son. And this one, the king responds that as the son, I will do what the father has asked me to do. In verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions. You will break them like an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. This is a reminder to us that God in his wrath, his control, his power is working all things to his glory and the end to establish the true king in the new heavens and the earth to bring his people to be to rule and to reign with him. And here we know that this Jesus the Christ will shatter all those who are against God. Revelation 19:15 he is described as saying a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. Friends, we must understand that it is God who is redeeming the world. It is God who is over reigning and ruling. God will put all evil to death and if we are not careful, if we do not follow the right king, if we, not, if we stay in the path of the wickedness that is spoken about in Psalms chapter, nine, uh, chapter 1, that we are leading to a path of ruin, one that is destroyed in our sin, destroyed in the fire, and understanding this, that God is in control. And friends, if we have any doubt in our day-to-day we know God is in control. How do we know? Look at what this pandemic has done to the world. With a snap of a finger, a pandemic has swept the nations and every ruler, every country, everyone has bowed their knee to, the, to its, its, uh, its evil and suppression over them. And it, we know now that there is nothing that can stand against the hand of the Almighty God. He is sovereign. He is over all. And if he would want, he would wipe us out in any time because he is sovereign. But he allows us this. And God reigns and reacts. And he responds. Because sometimes he will allow things to happen in us. To be broken. In his sovereign rule, he will make our world fall to pieces like it's been shattered like pottery. Because he does this to demolish the things in our lives that make us think that that will bring us more joy. It will bring us salvation. Those things help us to think that the world revolves around me or you. And God brings those things to the end because we need to see that these idols need to be crushed so that we might be dependent on him. What idol has been revealed to you in these days of the coronavirus? What has been taken away from you that might keep you up at night? What, what is the thing that you talk about every time you get a chance to complain that this has been taken from you? I've lost my, my vacation. I've lost my job. I've lost nights with my friends. All these things that you feel that has been taken away from you. And let me say this. 
it's okay for us to mourn the things that we miss. I miss being with you. I miss being in person with my life group. I miss going around and and seeing people in person. And it's okay to mourn that. But if that was ever to be the fulfillment of my life, if that were to anything in, in this world to be the fulfillment of our lives, then it becomes our functioning God, not God himself. So what is he reminding you during all this? What has become the God that you have followed for so long? When we reject God, he responds, but then he reminds all of us that number three, we need the king. We need a king. In verse 10, it says, so now kings be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling, pay homage to the son or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. This psalm concludes with David counseling those opposers of the king. Hostility is futile. and The only reasonable thing for men and women to do is to submit to God. Submit to Christ Submit to the true king. We must come to realize that we have the need of a king. In verse 12, it says, pay homage to the son, or your version actually may say, kiss the son. This is speaking to an Eastern culture of, of knowing we must kiss, bow down, kiss the ring, or kiss the hand, immediately saying, signaling, we will follow you, we, we adore you, we will submit to you. The Bible helps, makes this clear for us that we will not fully blossom until we come under the king. Maybe an illustration might help. Maybe there's a a girl who wants to become a a musician. And she wants to become famous in a a particular instrument. Or maybe, after watching all these, this documentary on Michael Jordan and they've seen how much Michael Jordan worked hard as a kid, they want to have a jumper like Michael Jordan. So some boy wants to become very good at basketball. Well, what is the best way to get better at both of those? Practice, practice, practice. You come under the yoke of what practice and pressure does to someone to help them achieve what they want to become. You can't do it by just hoping that it might happen or or hoping that you might stumble into greatness, but all the great ones practices, practice, the yoke of practice. When they have free time, what are they going to do? Practice. When they, when they plan their day, they're going to make sure practice is in there. That yoke or burden or God of practice changes them. And many might say later on in their life, they say, well, mom and dad or who, coach or whoever, why did you not make me practice? Why didn't you make me spend more time? Why why didn't you help me do this? Because that's tragic, isn't it? Because there's someone who might have great possibilities and they don't do anything about it. They don't put the work into it. And the, the parent or coach might say, look, I can't make you do anything. 
I can't give you the want to. I can't do anything to help you. Only that yoke of practicing can make you blossom. And I think this is where the Bible is telling us that it's only when we have an understanding of being under the king can we truly be happy. The Bible says every one of us are created in the image of God, but how we live and how we blossom or how we come into our life depends on if we've truly come under the guidance, the reign, the rule, the yoke of the king. And if we understand that, when we bring ourselves under God, then we understand that he's going to bring the best out of us, that he's going to help us be like Christ, that he's going to help us be happy. And so we must submit and take refuge in this king. Just as verse 12 tells us, that you kiss or pay homage to the king, that you submit to him and you become happy too. I want to conclude in just this way to help us see what that looks like in submitting and obeying and coming under the king. First, we see that we must obey this king. In verse uh, 10, it says, so kings, be wise. Be wise. We must obey. We must obey. You know, the Bible teaks, speaks a lot. What does wisdom, how do, we, how do we know what wisdom is? It's coming from fear and obedience of the Lord. Proverbs talks about how do we know? We, we go, we follow the instructions. What does Psalm 1 say? How to be happy. We must know the word, meditate on it day and night, that we must follow it, we must obey. Nobody that is watching today, none of us know that we will be perfect. But we know that as King Jesus and we follow him, that we must obey. You see, Jesus needs to be more than a consultant in your life. He can't be someone that just you think, okay, that's good advice. I'll consider it, but I'm going to do my own thing. It's kind of sort of like many of us look at speed limit signs. It's almost like with speed limit with quotes around the number. <laughs> we hope you stay around this number. No, those aren't there for just suggestions. They're actually limits. Well, in the same way as God has put his word, is there for us to be the best, to be more like Christ, to, to be holy, to, to follow like him. And many people say that when you come to God and his word, you'll say, well, I'll obey, I'll obey if it feels good. I'll obey God if it's easy. God, I'll obey if it's practical. God, I'll, I'll obey if it's popular. God, I'll obey that it's pragmatic. Many of us look at God and his word as a suggestion. But if you're just looking for God to be your consultant, then he's not really the king. You see, he is giving us recommendations. This is not recommendations. He is giving us the way to live, to be holy. So if you're deciding who you sleep with, deciding who you forgive, deciding what you're going to do, deciding what you're not going to do, then he is only a consultant and not a king. If you treat him as the king, you say, not my will, but your will be done. Do you obey God as, as a king under your life? 
Secondly, if we're to submit to the king, then we need to accept. Accept. In verse 10, it goes on to say, receive instruction. You see, we need to submit to the way that God is ordering our life. Things happen in our life, and many times we react in this way. God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Look at how my circumstances are going. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. It, it terrifies me. Many of us react in such a way that we think that, that God is not in control. God is not overseeing. And instead of accepting where God has placed us and what God is doing, we react negatively and try to make things our own way. But I encourage you what the Bible says. Maybe we should respond this way. God, this terrifies me. I don't understand what's going on. But I know that just as the Bible teaches, you are walking with me through the fiery furnace. You are with me and refining me as pure gold. And no matter what is going on right now, I know through it, you're going to make me humbler. You're going to make me more sensitive. You're going to make me more loving. You're going to make me more compassionate. You see, we need to accept that whenever, whatever's going on in our life, we need to be reminded that the king is still in control. And he's doing things for our good. He's purifying us. Do you give Jesus kingship like that? Do you accept what is going on to be reminded that he is working on you? Third, we need to rely here that, again, going back to the kissing the son, this is something to say that we are admitting, we are totally taking Jesus as our king, that we are accepting him and who he is, that we understand that this, this king is receiving us and we are receiving him. But we must be cautious that when we go to the king that we're not saying, Jesus, I will take you as long as this thing works out in my life. Or, Jesus, I will, I will take you if you will clean up this mess in my life. Jesus, uh, I will take you if this happens to me. Because if you do that, you're not really saying Jesus is the king. You're saying the other thing is the king. What are you truly relying on? Is it fully Jesus? Is it that you admit that he's alone, the only one that fully satisfies you? Is he the only one that truly saves? Well, friends, this is what reliance is. It, is. it is understanding that it is only Christ who can save me. It is only Christ who can satisfy me. His kingdom, his reign, his rule, what he wants to do in my life is the only satisfaction that I need. Please understand that you cannot work your way to salvation, that it's only by reliance on Christ, the Son of God, that salvation can come. And finally, we need to expect. We need to, as it says, rejoice with trembling. Meaning that we know that if we come to the king and we ask him something, we know that it's fearful that we're coming actually into the king. But we are rejoicing knowing that when we come to the king that he is going to do what is perfect. And he is going to do something that only the king can do. So maybe many of us are too pessimistic in regard for what Jesus can do in our life. Maybe we 
are not treating him as king. You have to have the expectations that Jesus is truly worthy of the king, that this is king is coming into your life to transform you, to mold you, to love you, to do something new in your life, to make you brand new. And as you expect this king to do something that only he can do, then we look forward to what God will do as we obey him, rely on him, and submit to him. Friends, it is only through this king that we know that our lives can be changed. Keith and Kristen Getty, two of my favorite modern hymn writers, they wrote a great song. It says, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And here are some of the words of this. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand and wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me holds wounds which tell me come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. You see, it is only when we come to the cross of the King that we put ourselves under Him that we can expect change in our lives, that we can expect him to do great things. And so I encourage you this morning that if you do not know Christ as Savior, if you come here thinking and understanding, just as we've walked through that, that I've rejected the king all my life, I've, I've rejected him in, in not following his ways, I've, I've lived apart from him, well, here's the good news. This king died for you. And that it's not too late it's never too late to trust him as Savior and Lord. That you can come to this king and be saved. So I encourage you to cry out to him today. That you would understand that you are a sinner who has rejected the king. That, that if you believe on Jesus, that he is God's perfect son who lived a perfect life yet died on the cross for your sin. And that you believe that he is your salvation. And that you repent of your sin. Turn away from the life that you're living. And turn to this king. The Bible says, today you can be saved. I encourage you to, be, to cry out to the king and be saved. And for those of us who are believers, how is your submitting to the king today? Does your life characterized by someone who, who knows the king and does what the king says? Or are you making your path for yourself? Let us be reminded from Psalm 2 that there is only one king that we can follow. And that is God and his anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder in you from Psalm 2. Help us to be people who not reject you, but come to you, love you, and submit to you in all things. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can come to you, a merciful Savior, who in Christ we can be forgiven. And I pray if there's someone who needs to be saved today, they would cry out to you for salvation. Today, they would look to you for life. And for those of us who follow you, may we live 
as someone who obeys and follows the king. In Jesus' name, amen.